Well, happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Yeah. Say bye to the kids. Tell them you love them on the way out. Well, hey, for those of y'all that don't know me, my name is Marcus. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm excited to be bringing the Word of God here tonight. I see some new faces. This is awesome. Welcome to City Church. This is a place for everyone because no one is perfect, so all are welcome. But hey, like I said again, my name is Marcus. Excited to be here. Valentine's Day delivering God's Word. Happy to worship with you all. Um, If you've been joining us over the last few weeks, you know that we've started a series in the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and we haven't made it very far. But last week was a pretty cool week. We had our first membership meeting, had some new members. Yeah, celebrate that. Yeah, we can get a woo. Come on, woo. Yeah, yeah. And we celebrated five years of ministry here, five years of God's faithfulness through ministry. And something that that Jared said that that stood out to me, and I sort of, as I was reading and studying and preparing for this week, Paul's letter to the Ephesians just, it looked a little bit different. Now, I'm not saying he said any magic words. It just gave me a new perspective on it. But he said something to the effect of when you consider or reflect God's faithfulness or how faithful he's been to you, you well up with gratitude or praise or thankfulness for him and what he's done. Right, so when I read Paul's words in the first verse, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. I hear and see Paul reminding us in that, that he was at one time known as Saul, and he was persecuting violently Christians, people who believed in Jesus. And we covered this as we started our series. We talked about Paul's conversion on the Damascus Road, right? He had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, and from there he surrendered his life. He trusted him as Lord and Savior. But now we know Paul to have written two-thirds of the New Testament, to be one of the best missionaries, one of the best church planners, one of the best pastors, one of the best evangelists in the New Testament, besides Jesus, right? Disclaimer. But like I say, we just well up with praise. We just well up with thankfulness when we consider what God has done. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. And then he launches. This is one sentence in the Greek from verse 3 to verse 14. One sentence, 202 words. Do I have anybody who's big on English? I know Mr. Joel over here is. We, got it. we have a few. One sentence, 202 words. Any punctuations you see in there, that's just for the editors. That's for the people who, you know, have to make this all make sense to us. 202 words. And Paul is expressing praise to God. Praise to God. And what we've covered so far is verses 4, well, 1 to 6. And in verses 4 through 6, we see the first reason that Paul is expressing praise to God. Because he chose us and predestined us there in verses 4 and 6. Sorry, my mouth is getting really dry already. But tonight we're going to be in Ephesians verses 7 through 10. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead, open there, join me in verse 7. When you have it, say amen. Amen. 
All right, we're already there. Paul writes, in him we have redemption through his blood. According to the riches of, oops, sorry. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, in heaven, and things on earth. Bow with me real quick. Heavenly Father, God, we love you, and it's because you loved us first. So God, as we read Paul's letter, God, let us, let it just pierce the deepest parts of our soul. God, let it just well up praise and gratitude and thankfulness for you and what you've done. God, in you we have redemption, in you we have forgiveness, and in you we know your plan. And this is because you loved us and you sent Jesus to die for us. So we thank you for such a great sacrifice, Lord, because we don't feel worthy of that sometimes. But your love, your example that you set forth in him shows us that. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so there we see it in verse 7 through 10. We see that we have redemption and forgiveness in Jesus. And then God reveals his plan to us in Jesus. So we need to understand a few things before we go any farther forward. Redemption is the first one. Redemption is the first. And this is, this would have been really common and like immediately understood and the gravity and the weight of it would have been picked up quickly. But here in America, especially in our day and age, the concept is lost. So it's important that we stay here for a second. All right, redemption is, it carries the idea of purchasing someone's freedom, right? A slave or a debtor, they, would, they wouldn't be able to buy or earn their freedom. Somebody had to purchase it with money, right, for them to be free. So in Paul's day, when he's talking about redemption, that's exactly what he means, is that there's a slave that has to be bought back. And in the Roman Empire in the first century, the Romans had as many as 20 million slaves, and the buying and selling was big business. So if you wanted to purchase the freedom of a loved one, a family member, or a friend, or something like that, you'd buy them, right? You, you buy your, your neighbor, your husband, your wife, your kids, whoever. If they were a slave, you would buy them, and then you'd write a certificate giving them their freedom, right? But it wasn't something that they had inherently. So... When, when Paul is talking about the redemption that we have in Jesus, that's exactly what he's talking about. I don't know if somebody's ever told you this, that you just were a good old boy or a good old girl or, you know, you were, you've always been all right. But the reality is, is that that's not the case. That's not what the Bible tells us that we are. Paul says that we were dead in our trespasses and in sin. We were spiritually dead before God. We were enemies of God. And now we're slaves, right? We, before we are in Christ, we are slaves to sin. So we need to be redeemed. We need to be bought back. Our freedom needs to be purchased. And this is exactly what he's talking about when he's talking about in him we have redemption. Mark 10, 45, Jesus says, for even the Son of Man came not to serve but to be, or not to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. 
So, again, biblical redemption is exactly that, where Jesus, on his death on the cross, paid the price for our freedom. We weren't free inherently. And we need to understand that. Ezekiel 18, 4, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. So we see, we see the consequence of sin. It's death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death. And we are slaves to sin, needing to be bought back. There was a price, and the price was death. John 8, 34, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Romans 3, 9, what then? Are we Jews better off? No, not at all. For we already charge, we are, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, under sin, under bondage, enslaved to sin. Later in Romans, uh, Paul says that we are all sold into bondage to sin, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. Sin is man's captor, again, and it demands a price. It demands a price. First Peter 1, 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with, the per or not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like, a, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Purchased back. We were ransomed, redeemed. We were bought back. And then in Hebrews 9, we see that we have an eternal promise in Jesus because of the death that he incurred. And then in Hebrews 9, 22, without, it says without um, the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. We see it. It's all over the Bible. And here's one thing before we leave this idea of redemption, because I feel like I'm starting to beat a dead horse now. We're getting it really quick, and that's a good thing. God didn't pay Satan. We need to understand that. God did not pay Satan for our freedom. Satan doesn't have the, the, the authority or the power to convict or to condemn or to judge. He doesn't have that power. We are slaves to sin. We are under the curse of the law. The law demanded death. That was God's law, not Satan's. He didn't purchase us back from Satan. My mouth is really dry. Sorry. So, in Christ, we have forgiveness. Now, let's look at the second part that I almost skipped over at the beginning together. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. The first, the first response or the first thing that we receive from redemption is forgiveness, right? We're redeemed, we're bought back, we're bought um, from sin who was our master, and now forgiveness is the primary result of redemption for those who are in Christ. In Acts 13, 38 and 39, Paul says to the Jews in Poseidon and Antioch, he says, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. 
In Christ, your sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. 1 John 2.12, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. So those who are in Christ, right, we understand redemption. We were bought back. We were slaves to sin. Christ died. His blood paid the price, bought us back. Now we're free in him. We're slaves to righteousness. And now our sins are forgiven past, present, and future. And here's the thing. We see this from the start of the Bible all the way to the end. Everybody since the fall was born under sin, as slaves to sin. They inherited this sin nature from Adam. And Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, like Israel's holiest day, right, is their, their greatest day. What they would do is they would sacrifice one goat on the altar, put the blood on the altar, and one goat, or the other goat, the priest would put his hand on it. And it was symbolic for putting all the sins of the people on this other goat. Then they would take the goat off into like as far as they could so that there was no chance that the goat would make it back. And that was symbolic to show that that's how far the people's sin had gone. It would never come back. And then we see the psalmist, right, in, Psalm, in the 103rd Psalm, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. You can't surpass this. God, the immeasurable riches of his grace, the forgiveness that he offers to those who are in Christ. You cannot, we can't fathom it. We can't comprehend it. We can't box it, quantify it, however you want to say it. We can't measure it. That's why we call it amazing grace. That's why it just wells up in us. Because we don't deserve it and we couldn't ever earn it, but it's for his name's sake. And this is all for those who are in him. And then we see in verse 8, it says, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. That word lavish means make abundant towards. He made it abundant towards us in all wisdom and insight. This isn't something that he's figuring out as he goes. Like he thought about this before the foundations of the earth, earth in eternity past. He's had this plan figured out. He's not a God that I'm going to surprise. You're not going to surprise him. He doesn't have a plan B. Jesus dying on the cross was the plan A. Remember the two goats? On the day of atonement? Guess which the other one represented? That, that blood that was shed on the altar, the other goat, that was picturing Jesus. That was a picture of what he would do. He would stand in our place. That substitutionary death that the goat would take in the Old Testament on Yom Kippur was a picture of Jesus who would die on the cross and his blood would be shed for the forgiveness of our sins. See, we got to put these pieces together. I know that slavery isn't big here in America, praise God, but... We can't skip past these hard topics or these hard conversations because we miss a lot of biblical truth if we try to, try to pad it, try to make it palatable to everybody. We can't do that because you were slaves to sin. You weren't just a good old boy or good old girl. I don't care what your mom told you. I'm sorry, but until you're in Christ, I mean, even when you're in Christ, you're, you know, 
Yeah, got issues. Look at verse 9 with me. Making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in heaven and things on earth. Paul needs to differentiate here because if you remember, Ephesus was, he was one of the, the great wonders of the ancient world. And there were a lot of, there was a lot of idol worship. It was rampant. It's nothing like America. We don't worship idols here. We don't bow to idols. We'll stand strong and worship you. And if it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. Christ be magnified if y'all were wondering. So, idol worship, rampant in Ephesus. And here are Jews and Gentiles doing life together in the name of Jesus. Right? They didn't like each other. They had been told their entire lives that they were better than one another. But in Christ... Here they are doing life together, and Paul has to differentiate because a lot of the Gentiles who would have been reading this letter from Ephesus, they would have gone to some of these temples where they worshipped idols, and they would have done these mystery rites, right? They would have done these rituals to, to know more about God or to get some superpower or to get some, like, divine wisdom. I know we don't do that today. None of us go into the field and say, God, just what is your will for my life, please tell me. Or we do the hokey pokey, or we have some, somebody pray for us or do something for us so that we can know more and grow more in God and his will. And really, I'm not saying that in like a really healthy way. I'm saying it in an unhealthy way. We want our light to shine bright, bigger and brighter than everybody else by doing something for, so that it could be about us. Don't pretend that that's not happening. I'm looking at y'all's faces. You're like, man, I don't. That doesn't happen around here. It does. You give more, and this won't hurt. You do more, and you'll receive more grace and more forgiveness and more mercy. And and you'll be closer to God if you do this, or if you say this, or if you practice this, or if you show up here. That sounds a lot like some of the idol worship, some of the mystery rituals that they would have done. So Paul had to differentiate here. But what does he say? That making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. The mystery is that he was going to send his only begotten son down on a cross to purchase your freedom from sin so that you could be forgiven of your trespasses. And then, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's where it's going. There'll be no more sin, no more death, any act of rebellion, any person, any uh, thing, spiritual or physical, Rebellion, God won't allow it anymore. In a single act of judgment, he will end all of it. There's no mystery. What does he want you to do? He wants you to make disciples. You were bought with a price, and how great was that price? If you consider it great, I don't think that God is calling you into like 
self-centered mediocrity. Big. He's not calling you into self-centered mediocrity. He's calling you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And don't worry, he'll be with you until the end of the age. So what are you going to do to do that? He doesn't care. Just make disciples. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's business. It doesn't matter if it's school, if it's music, if it's whatever. Make disciples. Share the gospel. Because if the price was his death, and this is me now, if the price was his death, he didn't die in vain so that I can live anything less than a life pursuing his mission that he gave. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like if you're like, yeah, Marcus, like, I'm a believer, I'm in Christ, then, then you paid the same price for your freedom too. You were a slave to sin too. And it cost his blood, his death. And if you agree that the price was that and that it was great, then why do we live in self-centered mediocrity? Why don't we live a life on mission? Why, like the church in Ephesus, why do we have to worry about this clicky, like, clashy, just not unified church? Why doesn't the name of Jesus just unify us and propel us into things that we can't even fathom, into areas that we can't even fathom? And I'm talking to myself too. Don't let me fool you and think that like I'm just beating y'all up. But this is what the text said to me as I was studying. Watchman Nee, a Chinese church leader and Christian teacher who ministered in the 20th century, wrote this. Outside of Christ, I am only a sinner, but in Christ I am saved. Outside of Christ, I am empty, and in Christ I am full. Outside of Christ, I am weak, and in Christ I am strong. Outside of Christ, I cannot. In Christ, I am more than able. Outside of Christ, I have been defeated, and in Christ, I am already victorious. And here it is, here it is, here it is. How meaningful are the words in Christ. This is more than Paul's favorite prepositional phrase. Yes, it is that, but it means something. How meaningful are those words to you? And if they mean something to you, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Have you placed your hope and your trust in his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins? Because if you haven't done that, you're not. It wasn't your baptism when you were a baby if you did that. It wasn't because you spun around three times and said the hokey pokey. It wasn't because you gave a bunch of money to the church. It's because you placed your trust and hope in him, in his death and resurrection for your freedom. Yeah, that's right. yeah. Are you in Christ? And if the answer is yes, then I love that. Amen. Praise God, because that's the only way we're going to do anything. If you are in Christ, he didn't save you for self-centered mediocrity. He saved you to live a life on mission where you're going and making disciples of all nations, 
That's every nook, every cranny, everywhere that you could imagine. Every, like all nations, everywhere. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. Teaching them to follow Jesus. That's it. It's not more than, it's not less than. That's the mission. That's what he saved you to do while you're still on this earth. Then we all look forward to a day where we'll be worshiping him in eternity, where we'll be in his presence for eternity, the one who paid the price for us, Jesus. So I think we can suffer. We can suffer in this life knowing what's coming in the next because there are some people who don't know that or believe that. But us having that hope of a better day, it should lead us to live a better life. And I don't mean in the sense of the commercials that you see on TV or social media. I'm talking about a life, like I said, in Christ, pursuing what he's called us to do. And if you're not in Christ, if you are not in Christ... I want to invite you into the family. I want to invite you into a relationship with Jesus Christ where he is your Lord and Savior, where you trust him. You trust his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins. If you haven't done that, and if you feel God drawing you to that, then I would encourage you to respond tonight. Talk to somebody tonight, and we would love to walk you through it. Because we don't have any other hope. We don't have any hocus pocus here. We don't have any mysteries that we can just, you know, you come in here in some transactional deal with God where you're just unlocked into some mystery. He's going to defeat every rebellious person and creature in a single act and unify or consummate creation and his people that he's drawn, that he's chosen like we saw in 4 through 6. We'll be together with him forever. So, we praise God that we have redemption in Christ. We praise God because in Christ we have the forgiveness of our trespasses and the guilt that goes along with that before a holy God. And then lastly, we praise God for revealing his plan to us in Christ. How meaningful are those words? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 10, or no, 6, 10, that you were bought with a price, so honor God with your mortal bodies or your fleshly bodies. You were bought with a price. Don't live a life that doesn't reflect how great that price was. Bow with me. Father God, we are so thankful. We are welling up with thankfulness for you. Like Paul, we, we praise you, God, for the redemption that we have in Christ. God, when we were slaves, you set us free. God, it, was, it took his death. It cost his life. So God, I pray that with the lives that we have, God, that we would live like people who were bought, who were once slaves but are now free in you. God, let us not 
turn to self-centered mediocrity, but let us turn to a mission that is to impact all nations for your glory, God. God, let your word, again, just penetrate deep. And God, let us honor you with the remainder of time that we have here tonight. We love you and we thank you more than we can ever express. In Jesus' name, amen.